I uh I went uh I went to my first restaurant ever. Or not ever. I don't know why I said that. <laughs> <laughs> I went too extreme. I went too extreme. That's not true. I went to my first restaurant since lockdown. So I haven't uh, – I've ordered food to be delivered and, like, left at my door uh-huh. and stuff like that. But I, I hadn't been to a restaurant since um, lockdown. So so basically, uh, like, late February, early March. What was that like? Um, it was good. Um, I went to this place up here in Phoenix called Killer Whale Sex Club. Of and course. It's, it's about as, like, hip as you imagine it would be, uh, given the moniker. But I will say, like, it had a cocktail. So we sat at the bar, and we were the only ones, because it's, it's a pretty small space. So we were the only ones who were able to sit at the bar. Like, those were the only two seats that could be available there. Um, and then there were just people, like, they had a dining room, and people were, like, placed at tables. But you couldn't just, like, really hang out or, you know, whatever. Um, and they had a great cocktail program and, um, they had, you know, it was like one of those hip places that does like Korean fried chicken on a bun, like, you know, whatever it was, it was just like one of those like fusion places, you know what I mean? Uh huh. And, uh, I, I don't know. It felt really good being out of the house. Like it's not something I'm going to make a habit or a practice out of, but it was nice. It was nice. Cause like, I realized that I've kind of been in this groundhog day scenario where I work from home. And now I have to work out at home, too, because my gyms are closed. Uh, and uh, just every day has kind of become the same. Like, every single day is the same. There's very little variability in my life for the past four to six months. Yeah. I, 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 uh, I uh, what did I do? What's the word? I stepped out of the comfort zone of uh, being quarantined for the last forever. Yeah. And uh, I went to a dinner party. Last weekend? Mm-hmm. An elegant I, dinner party. Did we already talk about this? No, no I think I, I, went, I went right after we podcast last. I didn't hear about a dinner party. I would love to hear about a dinner yeah, party. It was uh, like two years ago. We did uh, like Thanksgiving in July. And we were supposed to do Christmas and something or other. Like it was, I think it was Thanksgiving in June and then Christmas in July. We were supposed to do that with this uh, group of friends I have. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, we all went. Let's uh, let's just do it again. Two years later, even though we didn't do it last year, is this the kind of thing that you do when you get north of thirty? Oh my goodness, you do this every weekend. <laughs> you, do, you do like uh, four people themed New Year's Eve parties. It's just like you and another couple. Oh really? Yeah. <laughs> welcome to the thirties. Yeah, welcome. <laughs> all right, so I know what I'm looking forward to. But um, but it was everyone was very concerned at first, except for two people, the host who was always out and about going out to dinner. It seems like every night, and is like always traveling and stuff. And we're all like uh, a little worried about her. We thought she was the one that was going to be the dangerous one. Yeah, and yeah. And then she invited another friend that we all like, and she's an attorney, and she like does these depositions with doctors, mm-hmm. and she was like, "Oh, this is all a hoax. All these doctors I interview." weekly don't even wear masks to our in-person interviews and they don't even care about it and i'm like what is going on here this is this isn't cool yeah but then uh but after a few drinks everyone didn't care anymore and like the tensions were relaxed and i think we all are responsible adults to know that we can be around each other and still yeah, yeah it's it, 
like the shadiest ones were kind of there's they're still shady but it wasn't an, an extreme version of someone coughing on everybody yeah that's that's kind of where i found my level of comfort as well is just like in the people that i know really really well and i know closely it's like i know that they're wearing a mask when they're out which which doesn't help them but it helps other people and then hopefully they're only surrounding themselves like for instance i only go to the grocery store and i'm masked up and um outside of that i don't i haven't really been in the public sphere uh so then when i hang out with a friend or something like that like he can count on me being responsible as you put it and i know i can count the same because he also has the luxury and the privilege of working from home and doesn't really go anywhere either. So so it's like we can both therefore relax around each other because we both can rely on each other for holding up the standards, I guess you could say. Whereas like I uh I went back to uh when gyms opened up, like for that little window of time, gyms opened up again. Uh-huh. And I started going back to jujitsu, which I don't know why I thought that was like a good idea. But because because they had this whole system, right? They were going to temperature check you at the door. And if you were north of this, then, like, you couldn't come train. And then you immediately – you come in uniform, right? Because you're not – we're not going to be spending a lot of time, like, in close quarters, like, in the dressing room or something like that. No, you just come in uniform. You go wash your hands. You go hit the mat. You only have two training partners who you're going to train with the entire time. And uh, that way they can contact Trace if anyone gets it. And that was all fine and good for about two weeks until one of my training partners got COVID. And I realized that the whole thing only makes sense if everyone is living the same kind of monastic lifestyle that I am, where it's just like, oh, yeah, I just work from home. And then the only place that I go is the gym. You know what I mean? Like, if people are still going out and doing shit, it doesn't, that whole system doesn't work. So I don't know. We're, we're working it out, but it is, it is nice that like certain things you can, uh, to quote, to quote uh, Jeff Goldblum. Do you, do you want to hear my Jeff Goldblum impression? Of course. I think we all do. Yeah. Uh, goes, uh, uh, life uh, finds a way. <laughs> Anyways, so, so that's, that's what's going on in, in post-COVID land. Life will find a way. Wow. Yeah. Thanks for that, Jeff. Yeah, no problem. <laughs> but yeah, so after that, uh, we, you know what? We'll just we'll just snip that right out, <laughs> <laughs> or we'll keep uh, it in. Whatever that we, whatever. you know, we we run pretty fast and loose here at the at the Ramen Profitable Podcast. Um, do you have any notable uh, wins or learns from the past for the past week before we dive right in? I've got some some questions and comments for you this week that i think Uh-oh. uh will be will be uh some interesting material but but before we dive into that you know anything notable from your week anything uh pertinent yeah. it's it's kind of been uh just a launch week like we finally launched the movie it's online now yeah. and out for sale um i guess we're doing kind of well we're not doing as well as i'd hoped we'd be doing but we're doing pretty good we're doing a lot better than a lot of other online events that have happened here in town uh-huh so i'm pretty excited about that well that's good me and uh me and the missus we're gonna watch tonight because it's her day off so we're gonna chalk another one up for views uh, i appreciate that yeah but yeah but uh i had like the secret goal of raising like three thousand mm-hmm. dollars 
And if we look at this first weekend, it's, we're probably not going to reach that. But I, I made the mistake of telling our social media person that. And she was like, oh, I'm going to put this everywhere. So it's on all our uh, like content everywhere. Mm. Like this huge goal, which I don't think is actually going to be uh, achieved. So now it's, I got to figure out a way to reach that goal. Just uh, start doing like that one uh, plot of The Office where Andy is buying the paper from Dunder Mifflin himself just to meet the sales goals. Exactly. Just so, start buying your own seats. <laughs> right. So I, I got to figure out a way to maybe find some matchers, maybe find some uh, anonymous donors to kind of uh, boost our numbers a little bit. So we look a little more, uh, I don't know, I guess it's a look thing too, like uh, like hyping up, hyping up ourselves. Yeah, yeah. yeah like, I mean, uh, it's like a charitable way to like buy followers. You know, mm-hmm, people like mm-hmm. spend a hundred bucks to get ten thousand followers or whatever. Yeah, I think it's if we raise X amount of dollars, people will be like, "Whoa, how'd you do that? You must have an audience." Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, it's it's one of those things where it it becomes a self fulfilling prophecy a little bit, right? Like if you have enough people following you or liking your stuff or downloading your stuff or whatever, then it becomes more apparent to other people that that's something that's occurring. So then more people check it out. Like it's, I I kind of think we, we end up kind of doing like a herd mentality sort of thing with that. Right. So we'll see what happens. I mean, it's only Sunday. We've been live for two days and we're doing pretty well. I mean, we've already outsold everybody else that we were comparing ourselves to. Great. Not that not that we compare ourselves. Yeah, that's that's you know that's good, and I think uh, keeping your eyes on, you know the the multiple sort of things. Like it's not just like obviously you have you have a, a sort of sales goal that you're trying to hit or something like that. But also, I think um, and I think this is something that'll actually be be a, a good bridge uh, because that. That gets well, right an- another into. thing real quick, another thing real quick. So I've gotten a few compliments on our uh, campaign, like our promotional materials, like all our posts we've been making about the movie. I've been getting some compliments on that. So that was a good that was a good win for the week, kind of validating all that work that we put into it. Yeah, precisely. It's like it's like the the sales goal is only one aspect of of every of the whole like ecosystem of or of the whole thing that you're developing. So I think that there's a lot more of like payoffs that are occurring that may not be as like obvious or may not be as um, what am I trying to say? May not be as like uh, on the, yeah. Public or on the surface is like the sales goals, but there's a lot of other stuff yeah. that's going on in the background, like demand generation and things like that, or like people taking an interest in what you're doing or like people even being aware of what you're doing. You know what I right. mean? Right. And sometimes those end up paying dividends off in the long term as opposed to like the short term. Uh, totally. I mean, it kind of just makes you feel like uh, you're not doing it all for nothing. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, you know, to that point, it's like, I don't really have that much of a, a win or a learn from this past week because this past week was just so like fast paced and stressful for me. Like all it was, was just, I was incredibly busy all week. And I find that when I'm in those times, I, it's, it's good to know, I guess it's a good reminder that if I have to downshift into just like base instinctual like work and I'm just going to grind it out, it's like that can still be accomplished. So I guess that's sort of a win or a learn of a kind that it's like I didn't have the time or therefore the energy to 
really move the needle on anything in a in a large s- space, but I was able to effectively like manage my workload as well as you know s- keeping a, a good home life and things like that. So sometimes you you gotta redline it a little bit to remind yourself where you know where you can go and where you can feel comfortable. It's like that uh sixty percent rule. You know oh, I, thought gonna, I thought you were going to bust out another Jeff Goldblum quote. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, I, I could do that though. Um, it's like, it's like Jeff Goldblum said, uh, no, it's, it's like that rule that like, when you think you're done, you're only 60% done. Like you actually have a lot more in the tank than what you thought. Yeah. So it's like, I had this massive list of things that I had to accomplish and things I had to achieve. And I didn't think I'd be able to get all of this done. So I started forecasting things like slower paced and things like that. But I ended up actually doing a damn good job. So there's something there. There's a, there's a lesson there. It may not be the one that you want, but I guess it's the one that, you know, it's the one that you get that, that like, yeah, you're able Boom. to gut it out and get things done. Um, I wanted to, uh, I wanted to sync up with you today and, and kind of, uh, let like talk about the, the, the meaning behind the name or or like or like what the namesake of this podcast the ramen profitable podcast i think we've kind of talked around it um in a few episodes but i don't think we've directly addressed it i don't think we've directly addressed it either and also i was thinking we'd be taking more actions to making your idea uh ramen profitable yeah and i think in order to do that it has to be defined but i have some uh i have some interesting thoughts here Okay. Or I guess I shouldn't describe my own thoughts as interesting. You always do. I always do. I guess I always do give myself that pat on the back, but it's like, would, would you describe any thoughts that you have as mundane or boring? Well, it, it's one of those things where you, they're not until you say them out loud. Yeah. And then once right. you have a reaction to them, then you know. Because in your head, you're just the greatest person in the world. The, you're the funniest guy. You're the, the smartest person in the room. And then you say things out loud, and then you realize your place in the world. Yeah, it's like before this conversation, I thought I was the best Jeff Goldblum impersonator in the world. But now I can tell that probably not the case. Jeff Goldblum's a hard one. I mean, that, that bar is super high. It has to be like, get the nail it. Yeah, well, I think it's also I think it's also just a little bit more arbitrary than anything else. Like um, Christopher Walken is very tropey. You right. know what I mean? Like it's like once you get just the the kind of like um, jilted and halting cadence of his speech, you know, like you know, like once you get that, and then you just throw like an affectation on it. I think that's basically the gist of it, right? Like, but Jeff Goldblum is more arbitrary and randomly placed and says ah 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 a lot. So I don't know. Uh huh. And that weird Jurassic Park laugh. That was a whole different thing. Uh, anyways, so ramen profitability. Uh, here's, here's my understanding. Just like as a quick rundown, like a historical perspective and, um, and like I guess from a definitions perspective. Do you know who Paul Graham is? Paul Graham? Graham. Graham. Graham? Graham? I don't Graham. know who Paul Graham is. Okay. <laughs> I was like, yeah, Graham. Am I saying it weird? I don't know. Um, so Paul Graham, how I know Paul Graham uh, is probably different than how a lot of the world. Well, no, it's probably how most of the world, but they also know him from a different context. I, I first heard of Paul Graham as an essay 
essayist, which like that's probably the coolest title ever. I wish I could be an essayist, but anyways, um, he uh-huh. was an an essayist that I like heard of in college um, because he wrote some really kind of thoughtful pieces on um, the one in particular that I remember the most is called there is about staying upwind and it's basically about how it's better to you know figure out all the skills that you have and like kind of mature everything before specializing too quickly because if you specialize too quickly then you're already really narrowing your your you know perspective and you're narrowing your your viewpoints and all that kind of stuff so i read this essay about you know staying upwind and uh i wish i had like thought about it more tactically uh at the time but that's neither here nor there um but it turns out that paul graham is also known in like the tim ferris sort of scape of the world he was um one of the guys uh with y combinator y combinator is like the you know uh navy seals of start startups and stuff like that like they are the elite like that's the elite kind of place you take your concept to y combinator which is an incubator and they like mature your products and help you grow and stuff and now it's just like really oversaturated it is like the the creme de la creme of uh startups and things like that you know Uh what i mean so paul graham paul graham was in uh, like involved with that and he's big on investing in startups and stuff like that so that's kind of a background on that and so he coined the term i think he coined the term i'm actually not sure if he invented it or if he just sort of like defined it I mean, either way, I guess if you're giving a definition to a a set of terms, then that might as well be the same thing as defining it or like creating it. Um, So he kind of coined the term uh, ramen profitability, which is a very unique and kind of certain type of making money, Um, which is it's basically that you are making the income off your startup or off your small business that's just enough to pay the founder's basic living expenses. Um, So like, you know, your rent and your food and stuff. So that's why it's named after, you know, those ramen packets that are like 25 cents each or something like that. Probably when the essay was was originally written, they were probably only 15 cents each or something like that. But uh, so basically it's like, it's nothing, it's nothing, you know, phenomenal or, or extravagant, but it's like, it's enough to kind of get you by. And this is actually a very unique and interesting place to be because uh it like if you compare it to when other companies are talking about you know general profitability that's usually the result of like this huge movement or this huge effort and like a momentous occasion right like if you hear about oh man peloton i mean they're they've long been profitable but like if we take our way our, ourselves you know a ways back when peloton was kind of just getting started and stuff the first time they were profitable, that means that it was actually a massive amount of money because the amount of money to engineer and machine these exercise bicycles and stuff like that and also market them and all that kind of stuff, that's a huge amount of money. Peloton's a publicly traded company, so it doesn't really fall into this you know, small kind of scape. But that's what we generally think about when we think about profitability. Like you're, you're because of some real huge momentous push in like years and years and years you're making money that you can then take back to the shareholders and etc ramen profitability is different or a little bit more unique because it's a great place for a startup because it means that your expenses are less than what you're bringing in by a minute amount so if you're in a startup or like a really small business 
what that means is you might be uh, able to you you have like a, a a period of time that you can kind of breathe for a second, right? You're not constantly thinking like, oh, by Friday we're going to get shut down. By next Friday, Friday we're going to shut down. It's like you have just enough breathing room to really then focus on the next thing, which is you know growth or your product market fit or uh, you know your some different strategies or like different different ways that you're going to move the needle forward. So you kind of have that breathing room to like pause. And more importantly, you may not have to gather any additional funding source, right? So ramen profitability, as far as I see it, is also very closely related to being uh, bootstrapped. Do you know what bootstrapped is? Yes. But I wonder if that really is what ramen profitable is. It's not. It's, but but they're, they're directly interrelated, by nature, they have uh-huh. to be, or they don't have to be, I guess. But by nature, they kind of are because you, if you are a bootstrapped, like the goal of a bootstrapped startup is to be ramen profitable, right? Because you, what you don't want to do is have to sacrifice your amount of equity, which if you're literally just the founders, it's a 50-50 split or mm-hmm. 100% split if you don't have a co-founder or something like that. What you don't want to do is have to take that out and be like, oh, in order to expand or in order to grow or, or you know, whatever, we're going to have to raise all this money from all these outside sources. And now they own a percentage of our company. I mean, before you know it, you've diluted your shares down to like 20 percent or something. You don't even own the most shares of your own company. You know what right. I'm saying? That's how, in short, you end up working for someone else again. You know what I mean? Like then then it's not just for your own interests of where you thought the company's going to go. It's like now you have shareholders that you are beholden to. I already worked for somebody else. You know what I mean? I can tell you <laughs> that that that's it's not the same thing. So to me, maybe I'm interpreting this incorrectly, but if you are part of a bootstrapped uh, startup, the goal is ramen profitability, at least at first, because then at least, you know, like, what are the things that we know? And I think that we can use this. That's why I thought that this was perfect. What, what, what can we know about Elephant Scout based on this uh, recent release? Even if you're not hitting your sales goal, you have a demand, right? People, you're, right. you're already doing better than other people you're comparing yourself to, right? So there is a demand for your product. Um, and also, you know that you are reaching this segment of your audience in this way that is attracting them. Mm-hmm. So there, there are certain benefits to, you know, getting to this range of ramen profitability of being like, hey, I can just pay for all my stuff. I have time to breathe. My next move isn't going to sink us. Like that's that's essentially the goal. Right. Okay. Right. Right. Because when, when I think of startups, it seems like you're either going for ramen profitable or to like hit it big. Yeah. So like you're either going to focus on creating your business, whatever it is, you're selling something, your component, your drug, your supplement, your vitamin, your floral arrangements. Your floral arrangements. Flow roll. Or you're you're trying to sell like an app for a kajillion dollars, right? Right, right. So I I feel like they're both trying to do the same thing, but one is just at a much larger scale and ramen profitable is kind of like, like a small business, like, oh, I have a shop, I can pay my, my rent, I can create my stuff and sell my things and still have enough to pay me at the end of the day. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that they're not mutually exclusive. Like, that's sort of the thing, right? Like, let's imagine for one second that 
Elephant Scout all of a sudden has this huge spike in demand. Your social media is blowing off the fucking charts. Um, people are calling you. People from Hollywood are calling you like mm-hmm. now because because you released some short film that got submitted to some uh, uh, got some traction. Got like a kajillion hits. Some, yeah, some, like, uh, you know whatever. You somebody shared it. Yeah, or probably a more a, a more apt comparison now would be like Netflix is calling you. Netflix is calling uh-huh. Chris Scott because because you know you self published or you know you you self promoted and self published this video online and now that blew up and now Netflix is calling you. You know whatever. That would be kind of the swing into a more major kind of production line off of your ramen profitable business. I don't think they're mutually exclusive. I think one is a step in the direction. You know what I mean? And right, it's, I, I think the difference happens at the beginning, at the very foundation of it. Are you going to mm-hmm. focus on creating your product? Or are you going to focus on getting the money to make your product? Right. Yeah. And and actually, that plays into something that I was I was thinking about on this. Um, and I guess it would kind of just be intentions and all that kind of stuff, but maybe someone's creating an app that they just think like, Oh, I can with like the, like what we were talking about with the 1000 true fans, uh, essay, Mm -hmm. you know, like, Oh, if I sell X amount of these apps, I can pay my tuition at school or something like that, you know, or I can pay for X, Y, Z. And they may not intend for the app to go huge, but now all of a sudden Facebook is going to offer to buy their app. I mean, right. those things can occur. I, I think that you're probably right. Like, I think you're right that in your intention setting, you'll end up navigating where you go because these things don't happen by accident, right? Facebook doesn't just call saying like, hey, we want to buy your thing. Right. That's true. So so it's probably based on your intention setting, but I think maybe these things like end up blending into one another once you discover that you actually have a great product market fit or once you discover that, oh, there's a lot more demand in here than I thought. We can invest more money back in and get to this next tier. But I think you're basically correct is that there's this kind of ramen profitable and like the the goal setting of, I guess it would really just be how much money are you investing back in the business to grow it more and things like that. But also like setting up a structure of your business to that, that can grow like that exponentially. So let's say I make yeah. a... Uh, I set up a business plan where my business plan is to make a $10,000 movie and that does really well. And then we're, that allows us to move up and on to a hundred thousand or 2 million or to a hundred million. Mm-hmm. So it's like, it's the, the structures there that we can uh, exponentially grow with as opposed to, I think something like, like bootstrapping where I'm just doing everything as cheaply as possible. Right. Just to break even. And I think that's kind of, uh, that's like the fine line I think between that and, ramen profitable yeah i i i'd probably agree to that so i came up with some ideas around what are some good ways to get yourself to ramen profitability and some of these are like broader sort of uh topics and some of these are a little bit more tactical so i uh i was thinking about getting getting your perspective on these okay so i think um the the first one that immediately came to mind uh was to sell services or low what i'm calling low lift items i don't know if that's a term but i'm going to make it a term low lift as in uh you don't the, they're not heavy right <laughs> yes <laughs> like as in the opposite of heavy yeah <laughs> um as as in the opposite of a heavy lift item i guess so sell services or low lift items first 
And so here's kind of what I mean by that. It's like when you are it, it would be really expensive to say say your goal is to make a movie with a budget of a million dollars right uh-huh. that would be really expensive all at first because you know i mean i don't know what your bank account looks like but uh you're a really humble millionaire if it turns out that you actually have a million in the bank right like let's <laughs> let's just put it that way i'm i'm i don't know if you do or not but if you do you definitely live well beneath your means um and so then your alternative is like, oh, I want to make a movie with a million dollar budget. You're going to have to go to so many other people around town to get a million bucks. Right. And right, now your right. interest has been diluted and all that kind of stuff. So the way that I th- at least it appears to me and you probably have a lot more insight about this since it's your own narrative. But um, the way that you kind of got to ramen profitability, at least at first, is that you were also booking gigs with Cox or you were booking gigs with uh, Ghost Right, Adventures. corporate gigs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, or things like that. So you were selling a service first that, that kind of gave you a baseline amount of revenue that you could rely on month to month to month that was adjacent to what you're actually doing with Elephant Scout. Like, mm-hmm. not not really the same thing because it wasn't features. It wasn't, you know, like that. It wasn't storytelling per se. But you're working as a consultant almost in the field. Like if we called you a freelance, you know, video consultant in that sort of sense, uh, I don't know what the actual term is. I'm, I'm not in the industry. <laughs> but, but if we called you a freelance video consultant outside of what you're doing in the creative side of that, would that be too far off? I don't think so. I wouldn't. No, I don't know. Well, because I'm actually doing things, though. I'm not actually consulting. I'm actually. Yeah, that's true. Well, you're, you're, a, you're a freelancer, though. Right, I do freelance work. I, I do think it's definitely. Uh, I wouldn't say consulting. I think consulting would be if somebody hired me as like a producer, and I was kind of just like, uh, yeah, an, an adjacent sort of party, but not actually b- building the the thing like t- tangible. Right, I right. Guess. Yeah. So, uh, so the consulting side of it is, it, I guess, that's just another avenue for other people. But I guess the the uh, point I'm trying to make is like. And I say relatively in the relative sense, because, of course, when I say relatively easy, I mean relative to coming up with a genius product or something like that's really, really hard. This will also be hard. I'm not saying it'll be easy, but I'm saying a relatively easier way to get yourself kind of into the right sort of segment and to get yourself into the adjacent level work, but also give yourself enough incoming revenue to kind of keep moving is to sell services first. So that's kind of what you were, what you were doing is taking these corporate gigs and whatever you're still in the segment, you're doing video and audio work, but you're, uh, but you're kind of adjacent to it by selling services first so that that way you can get that recurring kind of revenue to keep yourself steady while you're building up your, your own product, which is in your case, your features. Right. So, I think that that's I think that that's in general the way that people start, right? You you make that weird transition because you're working your full-time job and you can't cut off that revenue, but you have to start kind of ingraining this other source of revenue so that that way you can kind of start the lean. You can start the process of getting out of one and into the other or maybe not getting out of one, but but building up your other. Yeah, that's a good place. I guess to uh, I guess gain experience is what I would look at it as. Because like mm-hmm. I'm not going to go out. Like I 
kind of did just went out and tried to make a feature but you if you go out and you work on other people's sets you know if you work on tv shows if you work doing corporate things you learn a lot of skills that you don't really learn in a school pro, uh, setting or a, on, in, reading in a book you kind of have to actually actively do them mm-hmm. so i do think consulting or providing a service to others that aligns with your business idea your business plan helps you grow and become a better you so you're, you're not even actually that's that's a really interesting point you're not even saying just in the sense of like money or just getting yourself into that industry, but also the building a portfolio or like getting the real experience of that role kind of is in, a, in and of itself important. Right. Because you can learn from other people's mistakes. You can mimic other people's successes. You can k- kind of learn things you didn't even know you had to consider uh, going into your business idea from working for someone else or uh, just stepping with them side by side to see what they're going through and just seeing how they process and deal with hurdles and obstacles and whatnot. Yeah, no, that's, that's, a, that's actually an incredibly salient point. Like I was kind of focusing more on just like the money aspect of it all, but like that's you actually always do. like I always do. Um, but that's the, that's an incredibly salient point is that there's, you know, nothing that will get you the kind of experience you need than just doing it or being adjacent to that side of work that you need to do. And also probably there's something to be said about the connections that you make. I mean, I've always not really been like a networking kind of guy. Like I'm, I'm not, I think that that's just such a, it's like, it's like I was, I, I earlier this week, I was listening in on this zoom call that was about career growth at like my organization and one of the things the guy was talking about was like, yeah, get yourself a good professional network and like go to these LinkedIn events and stuff. And it's just like, oh, that just sounds exhausting to me. Like, I don't know if I'm an introvert or if or if maybe that just sounds dumb to me, but I just have no interest in doing that. So, you know, I'm, I'm not really that kind of a guy, but practically working on the things that are important, like you probably met a lot of people who um, by taking these by being a freelancer, you probably met a lot of people in the Tucson filmmaking industry or at least in the commercial side of the filmmaking industry like who you know you might call on to be like hey uh i don't really know what how to get the best you know xyz and and someone could give you advice on that or tell you how to source this specific object or you know whatever it's it's like there's probably a value to not like you're learning things as you go but you're also building kind of this network of people that you know could be assets to yourself in the future yeah, for sure. Uh, I guess to add on to that, uh, a moan, that groan, the uh, about being LinkedIn networking. Yeah. I uh, I've kind of realized this past weekend after launching the Mummy movie that the audience we kind of built five years ago, four years ago, uh, kind of was built up from like we're doing a casting call, we're doing, we're actually shooting, now we're editing, now we're doing mm. a screening, and like this this audience kind of grew with us. And we kind of just like lopped it off at the end of the first screening. And now it's kind of like, I wish I thought they were still there, but they're not as they're still there, but they're not as active as they were four years ago. Mm. So, so I do think keeping uh, networking, uh, engaging with your audience and keeping that up kind of does help you in the long run. Yeah, that's, that's actually a good point. It's, it's not just enough to build it up from the start, but you also have to keep, uh, nurturing it i guess yeah keeping engagement keeping uh you know just just not falling off the uh, edge of the world because they'll find something else to follow 
they'll find someone else to follow. They'll outgrow you. You'll outgrow them. You know, that all will happen. But just there are, you know, going back to the thousand true fans, there's people there that want to go on the ride with you and you just can't disappoint them for four years and expect them just to hop back on the train. Nilly yeah. willy. That's, that's really interesting actually that, um, it's, you have to keep an attention at not only growing and getting new fans, but you also obviously have to keep the ones that you got. Otherwise, right. uh, otherwise you're just, it's a, it's a, you know, revolving door. You're just building, you keep building that same foundation, but you never actually grow further from that. That's a, that's interesting. I would love to, you know, as, as the, as the tech guys say these days, I would love to double click on that on, on a later episode. Man, there's so many eye rolls coming out of a tish this episode. <laughs> I've been spending time with a lot of weird, uh, weird folks. I also, but I, um, but I, I do think that's another part of becoming ramen profitable. It's, it's like you have this idea and you're going to do some numbers. You're going to crunch the numbers. You're going to find out how much it costs to make your product or how much your mm-hmm. service is going to cost, how much your website's going to cost to maintain. If you need a, a brick and mortar, if you need to order parts from somewhere, you're, like, you're going to find that number. But then you have to divide that number by X amount of people to purchase your product. Right. And then you yep. need to see, you know, how, how much you really need to build an audience or engage in an audience. So maybe it's 30 people, maybe it's hundred mm-hmm. people. And so how do you, Yeah. not that you're trying to minimalize, uh, your audience, but if you, you know, set, uh, that's what I liked about a thousand true fans. You're not, it's not the world. It's not billions of people. It's a thousand people that you need to, you know, back you. Right. And a, a thousand seems like an achievable number versus, a billion people. There's actually somebody who um, I texted him uh, yesterday, but unfortunately the weekends are his very busy time. So he hasn't gotten back to me yet, but there is somebody who there's a guest I'm going to try and get for the podcast. That is the man. He will be the ramen profitable guru because he uh, started a business here in town in Phoenix uh-huh. and um, and not only is he a, a pretty good friend of mine, but also he started a business here in town and he had the idea or the, the kind of thing that he could kind of what you were speaking to earlier. He had the opportunity and he had built up the capital to expand, but then he weighed out the, cause you know, oh, okay, well it's not just a new location, but that means a whole new staff that means, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So a, a brick and mortar location with a new staff, with this and he actually did these kind of calculations and he figured out right at the niche that he could be to maximize his reach to the community, maximize his profits, but minimize his overhead, basically. And and so he, man, it's, and he comes to me with a lot of, uh, he, <laughs> I guess I'll just, um, this is my buddy Rob, uh, known uh, as the best dog trainer in the valley, Rob's Dogs. Like he actually got uh, put in magazines and stuff like that as as the best. And man, the stuff that he talks about because he was trying to get me and now I'm kind of kicking myself that I didn't do this because he has such great ideas. And one of his great – and mind you, they're not stuff for – like his is a long-term solution. But but what he was talking to me about was more of like a flash in the pan idea. But man, it would have – like even right now, if I was up and running on this idea, I would be raking in hand over fist. I really? think well, I, I regret not going for it, but it just was too, but he comes up with business ideas for me all the time. And one of the things that he said I should do, he's like, man, you've got this, you've got this background in, uh, you know, exercise and like being fit. 
and you've been a trainer. You've you're you've got a personal trainer certification. And he's like, and you're like a martial arts guy. He's like, why don't you specifically uh, make yourself like a workout guy for girls and call yourself? He's like, girls are all about building the legs and the butt. Just call yourself the booty sergeant. And you're, <laughs> I, I shit you not, this was his idea. And he's like, and. And he's like, and he was walking me through how he like optimized his SEO and stuff like that. Like this, he, he, he does it all, man. So he, I, I, I think he'd be a great guest. And I think he would really speak to ramen profitability because he's, he's done very well for himself off of essentially an idea that he just, he focused on just the outlying product, which, which actually brings me to my next kind of thing that I thought was an, a good step towards ramen profitability. All right. Which Let's is. Choose a good co-founder, even if that co-founder is yourself. And here's what I mean by that. Every business, no matter what, has to have two essential components. Um, and I'm using the terms relatively because it doesn't, you know, everything can, can, you know, isn't maybe engineered, but it's maybe developed or maybe, you know, whatever. Was this uh, uh, like that question from last episode about uh, making the product and selling the product? It's exactly that. Yes. Yeah. Um, that you ultimately need two departments, one that makes the product, one that sells the product. In the case of yourself, I think you you are the founder who does both of those things. Like you're doing both of those things. You, I think, wisely made a decision to kind of assemble a team to help you do that. Like you've got a social media person now, mm -hmm. um, which actually is a, is a daisy chain to the next uh, item that I have on the list too. So I, let's put a pin in that. But... Uh, but you're, you're kind of that blend where you, you make the product, you're ma making the feature and whatever, but you also are building the platform on which to sell it and things like that. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Whereas, um, and, and, you know, Rob is the same way. Rob, uh, he, he not only is training the dogs, but he also, uh, knows how to market, right? The, the way that I linked up with Rob. I went to the dog park with uh, Grizzly back when he was young. He was less than a year old. And I saw Rob just at the park, no leashes on these three German shepherds he had, huge dogs. And he was just like, he would, he would say one's name, toss the ball, and only one of them would go run out and grab it and bring it back. And then he would say the other one's name, toss the ball, and, you know, whatever. Which is a supreme amount of discipline out of dogs. Like, I don't know how much, you know, how, how like, aware listeners are about, like, dogs and stuff like that if you don't own one. But that's a supreme amount of discipline that you're just saying he had each of them, like, perfectly in tune. So I went up and talked to him. And it turns out that how most of his business works is through referrals. And then when his referrals run dry, because he can only handle so much business at a time, otherwise he's too busy. Right. When he when his referrals run a little dry, then he goes out and, you know, just basically demos his dog in the community. Like, hey, don't you wish your dog was like this well trained and stuff like that and doesn't have any issues? So, you know, he also represents like the sales and marketing side of the house as well as the engineering side of the house. Alternatively, if you're in a business where you're selling an app or you're doing, you know, you probably, it's probably too specific of a skill set to code or engineer this item and also spend enough time or effort into selling and marketing your product. So in that case, you know, you really have to be able to choose a good co-founder or build yourself a good team like, like you did 
you know, so that you can you can make sure that you're hitting those kind of departmental things uh, with enough intensity, and that that way there's no no you're not leaving st- something on the table, right? Right. If, if you're if you're trying to do everything yourself, which is admirable, but let's say in the example of building an app, either you're going to focus more of your energy and time into selling it and marketing it, and then maybe you never actually hit the goal of what your app is supposed to do, or it's a crappy one, you know, whatever, and then you're not going to sell well. Or you spend so much time in engineering, whatever, that you never sell a single copy. And then, you know, what does that accomplish for you? Are you going to find a uh, co-founder or do you think your co-founder is in you? That's a great question. I I was thinking about that myself. And I think I happen to have, like, I have the set of skills to engineer it. Right. You know, as as we were talking about before, um, I actually completely by accident got myself the right accreditations and like the ability to formulate this product. I think once, and this is what I was thinking about. um, I think once it reaches any sense of scalability, I will lose the ability to do so. Right. So, so I think that's one aspect to it is the actual like engineering of the product in terms of the selling and the marketing. I, I think, I have this ego about myself that it's like, oh, I'm sure I could do that, you know, whatever. But again, I don't know if that's just me, you know, blowing smoke. And it turns out that I could be more effective by actually stepping aside out of that and letting someone else take care of that. I don't, I don't know. Right. How, how did you kind of navigate those decisions yourself? I guess it's also an ego thing. I control issues. It's just I, don't, I didn't trust anyone around me to really take things as seriously as I was taking them. Right. So that's what it, that's what it was in, in on my end. I don't know how that is for you, but I'm sure you can find someone if you need that to kind of support your ideas, not just uh, take over for you. If that makes sense. Yeah. So I I uh, spoke to someone. I mean, on the on the complete down low, you know, whatever. Uh, we started a secret jujitsu club for people who uh, like aren't going out you know, whatever, and really are just living this like totally inside life. So if we can commit to that, then then there won't be any COVID in the gym. So then we can still train. And um, somebody who is there, one of the team members at the secret jujitsu club, um, not only is a, is a black belt in um, jujitsu. So obviously like a great martial artist and whatever, but he's also a, uh, he's also a, um, pretty high up sales manager at I won't say the company because I don't know if it matters either way he's doing but either way he sounds perfect yeah exactly he's he's at a pretty reputable technology firm here in town you know and so I I kind of talked to him uh earlier this week and I was like hey um you know do you have any time next week I I just wanted to run this idea that I've been having and that I've been plugging away some work on and I would love to share it with you um, and just kind of pick your brain on it, you know, see where it goes from there. And he was like, oh, yeah, absolutely. Let's let's set up a time. So we set up a time for this upcoming week. Um, and that would kind of be where my mind goes, right? If, if I could manage, because obviously I wouldn't be formulating everything in-house forever. Like, Of course not, yeah. I- ideally, we're going to grow. But up until then, I'm working on formulations personally right now just for very limited runs, um, because really, I'm just testing them, or I g- give one to a, a close friend to test, or something like that. And, um, and and so right now, I can handle the formulation side of it, you know, before because there's not really a demand at all. Mm-hmm. And then if I have somebody who could kind of start to 
you know, think about, okay, how are we going to actually sell this product? How are we going to, you know, uh, like how, what would the pricing be in order for us to break even? What would the pricing be for us to be only slightly negative? What would the pricing have to be? You know, all these kind of thoughts. Like, I think it would be smart to divest myself from not handling all of the responsibility, but, but just the kind of segment that I understand more and kind of give, give up some of the control and some of the responsibility to someone else who I don't think would completely like, you know, derail this thing, but right. would be, would kind of be more in tuned with asking the right questions to drive that side of the house forward. I think that's a good move. Yeah. So, so that's kind of uh we'll see what I think the thoughts for, are. Uh, I think for me on my end, because uh, what I do is so creative and kind of already creating content. Mm-hmm. So creating more content kind of aligns with that more. Uh, kind of like a, like a Alfred Hitchcock is a good example. Like he made all his trailers. He used to, he came from a marketing background and then he got into filmmaking. So he was really? very uh, attuned with how to market his own movies because he knew his stories as best and how to sell them the best. But making a movie versus making a commercial is basically the same thing. It's in the same circle, the same wheelhouse, but mm-hmm. making a supplement or a vitamin or whatever you call it and making a commercial or making a, uh, Facebook ad, you know, it's, they're two completely different things. So it would make sense to right. find someone that understands that other wheelhouse more so than you understand it. I mean, you can give them right. content and support that ideas and how to sell it, but not, but presenting it to people, to strangers is the hard part. Right. And and that was sort of the thing that I was thinking about is that like, you know, I'm, I'm pretty quick to learn things and I'm pretty like, I'm a good student, but the amount of lift that it would take for me to do the experimentation with the sales and marketing aspect of this in a segment that I know really nothing. I mean, I know a lot about supplements and stuff like that, but I don't really know a lot about selling them. Right. Uh, You know, I I just thought that that would be such a huge lift to try and accomplish that, that that would end up derailing me for, you know, another six, eight, 12 months. And that seemed kind of dumb to do, you know, when, when I don't have to. So that's, uh, that's, you know, kind of my idea of choosing a good co-founder. And, you know, obviously I think to your point, they have to be as committed as you are. Otherwise the, the thing doesn't work. Right. Exactly. So, but it's, it's interesting. Like, so I was thinking about elephant scout and like your team when I thought of this next kind of, I guess, guiding principle to driving ramen profitability, um, which is that you should outsource work, but do it wisely. And so what I mean by that is if I think about all the tasks that would have to go into, um, you know, where I want to be, not where I'm currently at, but if I think about where I want to be, um, and, and in a state of ramen profitability, if I think about that, there's a whole lot of tasks and work that would have to be done that, you know, I don't necessarily think that I can do or that I should be doing really, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? And, and even in the grander scale, if people are really making like LLCs and stuff like that, there's probably an HR kind of thing that you need once you start taking on employees, blah, blah, blah. I mean, I'm not anywhere close to that, but I'm, I'm kind of making this more of a generalization for people the example and for the purposes of the listener. So you probably have things that, you know, like other people, oh, or, or in your case, a, a social media person, you know, it's, you could be working on the social media side of the house right now, but that would probably be dragging down your effort and attention from larger things that those are the stuff that the things that really need to be focused on in order to drive elephant scout. So, mm-hmm. 
So you outsource some work to a social media person. And I think that that's a really wise move. You can't be doing everything all the time because you will not be able to give all the attention to each of these individual items that you need to succeed. That said, you don't want to go out of the gate, you know, oh, great. Like, all right, we we made our first, you know, short film or our first commercial to show people what we're about. Time to hire a team of 70 people. You know, it's like that's obviously a, a dumb move. Right. Well, I, I think it all depends on how you set up your workflow and your workspace. But uh, I think what you're getting at is it's a time thing. So right. the older I get, the more I realize how important time is and how much time do I really want to spend working on something I'm not that good at. So it takes me three times as long as someone that's really good at it to do. Right. And, yep. and is it worth me just throwing a couple bucks at this person to take over and deal with it and have it done right? Or at least get it to a place where if I need to modify it, I can. So it's uh, yeah. it's it's uh, it's all about uh, time and how much is your time worth and how much are you like how much do you really want to waste doing things that you're not really that good at? Yeah, yeah, exactly. It, like I have no desire to learn how to submit HR paperwork, you know, or like or or that kind of stuff. So that's why there are resources even. If it's a one-time action, like if it's not a recurring – so the social media aspect, obviously, that's a recurring action that you'll need multiple times. It's better that you get like a teammate for that or something. But say, for instance, you just have to submit these tax forms or something or you just have to – and you're just kind of at a loss. It's like you can get somebody you know, for a one-time fee to do those things. Right. Or you can even – you know, um, here, here's a good example for, for my kind of workflow. Let's say I get a formulation and let's say, you know, we want to start to market it or let's say we want to even make a tester tub that we just want to have like an image of, right? So that we have it. I'm not going to try and draw the logo. Do you know how terrible I am at, at like, even my handwriting is dog shit. Like I can't, I can't draw anything to save my life. So I would go on freelancer.com or Fiverr or something like that. And I would get somebody to do it for me. You know what I mean? Uh Like I'm going to outsource that work and that would be a smart use of time. So I think that there's an an analysis that needs to occur to, to your point, you know, about what are the things that I can do that should stay in my wheelhouse that, you know, uh, I, I can, you know, I can save some money by doing it myself in house or whatever. And what are the things that are really going to be uh, an expenditure, not just in terms of funds, but in terms of time? Like, what is going to take me six months that it could take somebody a week? Right. It's probably well worth the investment to just get someone to do it in that week and get that item, you know, kind of checked or cleared or whatever. So I think one of the things in in kind of getting yourself to ramen profitability is not just analyzing like how much is in your bank account right now and how long that'll float you, but also how much how are you utilizing your time? Right. I guess. And and where would it be economical to outsource some actions to save yourself some time and how that would move the needle in terms of the whole company or something like that. But also covering your ass a little bit. I mean, earlier this year, I hired a lawyer to write an LLC for this feature I want to make. Mm -hmm. Because I did one myself years ago, but it's only just, it's just me and the LLC. So there's no real, it's just there. You know, there's like no (laughs) operator's agreement. There's no, Uh you know, establishment of profits or distribution of profits or Mm -hmm. the hierarchy of management. There's no any of that. So for this uh, new feature I want to make, the Dirty Harriet feature, we're trying to raise, you know, a quarter of a million dollars, a million dollars. And we're yeah. going to have investors. And how do we protect ourselves? I am not going to sit down and look at 
WebMD, not WebMD, LegalZoom, and learn how to <laughs> <laughs> and learn how to write an LLC myself. I went out and hired a lawyer because that's a lot of money. To me, it's a lot of yeah. money. Oh yeah, hundred percent. And, and and that I'm sure you could have achieved what you wanted to, or something like that. But the amount of time and energy you would have had to sink into that would have been such a distraction from your, you know, from re-releasing Eddie Mummy or from you know whatever. It, it just would have sucked up a lot of time and energy from a lot. Exactly. Of but but also I learned things that I thought that were standard were kind of not like there were like there's more details behind it than what I thought. Mm. So like mm -hmm. investors and creatives kind of split all the profits fifty fifty. Like yeah. investors bring in the money, but the creatives create the content. So that's how they have that's what that's how they split the pie up. But there's two different mm. pies. There's like an LLC pie, and then there's like the profit distribution pie. It's a, it's a bizarre thing. It's really bizarre. Okay, so so this should serve as a lesson to listeners that even the most simple and mundane seeming tasks can be an unending rabbit hole of complexity. So getting someone exactly. to navigate that. Yeah. So I'm I'm selling a portion of the LLC that we established to investors, and it's not going to be half the LLC because if it's half the LLC, investors have just as much say in what happens with the movie as of, as the creatives do. Mm -hmm. So I'm only selling thirty percent of the LLC to investors, and I'm keeping seventy percent to kind of distribute among the creative people for the right. back end stuff, just so I have all the control. Uh, no matter what, I always have 51% of the LLC and everything else is yeah. divided amongst everybody else, which is I never mm -hmm. even thought of uh, in the long run, like how much that just saves my ass in the long run. Yeah, that's that's a good point. I think that. Mm, yeah, it's like we should talk to a lawyer. But I didn't know any of that. And so I I could have spent time to research that, but all my research was leading me nowhere. And right. instead, it was a hefty fee. But we're safe now. Like we're good. I feel safe. I feel protected. And I know it's legit because it's a thick document that this lawyer made. It's a <laughs> thick document. Yeah, that's that's how you know it's good. If it has a lot of phrasing like whereas referencing the agreement, you know, whatever, and it's like right. a thirty page document when really you thought you could cover it in a couple paragraphs. Like, exactly. Yeah. All right, sweet. That was some good work. That was a good investment for sure. But yeah, so that's uh, in in regards to time, I think your time is valuable, but also like the the time and effort you can put into something might not be the best it can be done and to understand your limits in regards to certain tasks and things such as legal things or what totally yeah yeah yep. that makes a whole lot of sense and actually that that gets uh that that is perfect because that's that goes right into the next kind of step towards ramen profitability that I was thinking of, which I think you are in generally very good at this. I was not good at this up until fairly recently, um, which is make a budget and cut expenses. So you're not going to be able to achieve this level of ramen profitability if you are convinced that, oh, well, we need the latest tech gadget every time or we need, you know, whatever that might be. In this case, I'm using the phrase tech gadget, but it could be every, anything. But also, more importantly, you're not going to be able to reach this level of profitability or this level of like sustainability, I guess you could call it. If you don't know what your operating ex expenses are, like you right. have to have a firm number, um, for instance, Given the state of the world right now, like I could probably do without a car. I mean, I don't have a car payment, but if I did have a car payment, it's like ah, I could probably cut that. But you have to be able to know what your operation operational costs are. Like, okay, 
uh, how much is my, how much, you know, like I, I've got this studio and I use it not only just for, uh, you know, my space to draft the works of Elephant Scout, where to like store all my equipment, where I'll do that kind of stuff, but also uh, this is where I do shoots and stuff like that. Your your other side of the house that then maybe generates income for what you know whatever it might be. Like you yeah. have to have a firm understanding of how much money you're spending on things and how much money you're bringing in at the same time. And I used to not be so strong about that, but ever since I kind of got a handle on that and figured out how much money I'm putting out where it, it just makes it so much easier to understand, you know, what are the moves financially that I could make in order to better the business or in order to, uh, you know, Oh, in this case, like, can I afford to hire a lawyer? It's a, it's a hefty fee. Can I afford to hire a lawyer? Oh yeah. Like I can absolutely do that. It's within budget and it'll save us a whole lot of time and money in the long term. Mm-hmm. You know it's a wise investment. You know it's a wise move. It helps you direct your next steps and your next actions as opposed to if you're just sort of like, all right, well, I've got this much money. Let me do something. Like you don't you don't have your operational costs. You don't know what your next month's fees for everything. They can, oh, I forgot that my internet hosting is due next month. So turns out now I'm actually – I'm in a negative cash flow. You know what I mean? Like right. that, that, that can happen in an instant. So you always need to have like an appropriate kind of budget to make it repeatable. I guess you could say like the money that I'm bringing in, I know exactly how far that's bringing me. And I guess the eventual goal, this is more for flow roll than I think it is for elephant scout, because I think we're, we're running on two different paradigms here. But my eventual goal for flow roll is that I have a predictable amount like just through forecasting, the goal would be that I have a predictable amount of buyers every month. So I know how much money in revenue I can expect every month. So I know how much money I can hold for like profits, quote unquote, and how much money I can safely reinvest back into the business to make the product better, to make the logos better, to do a little bit more in marketing, to do, you know, whatever. But you would have to have this foundational knowledge of what are your expenses what are you making money off of? What is the net balance of these sorts of things? Like you have to have that information. Right. I think you've always been pretty good at, or at least as far as I've known you, you know, you've always been generally pretty good about that. Yeah. Why do you want to spend money? Like it takes a lot for me to spend a lot of money. Yeah. Just just because it's so much money. Yeah, exactly. I think the most money we spend together is probably on uh, for net shots, but. And that went, uh, that was a good investment. It was a good investment. (laughs) <laughs> at the time, that was a good investment. Um, the next morning, it didn't seem so, but uh, at the time, it seemed like a good hey, investment. Uh, I don't, I don't get hangovers with Frenet. Really? If anything, I feel better. I feel energized, and it's like a uh, like a cleanse. Oh, yeah. I mean, I guess uh, it must work differently on you than it works on me because it felt like the opposite of a cleanse, and then the opposite of a day at the spa. Oh well. It, wait till, it wait till you're 30. Wait till you're 30. <laughs> it felt kind of more like uh, the spiritual equivalent of getting hit by a car, if if that tells you anything. Sometimes you got to get um, hit by a car. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, my last thought on steps towards ramen profitability is invest like so once you know that you have this budget and once you know how much revenue you're bringing in if any or how much money is going out recurringly monthly is to initially invest profits back into the brand 
And this is where I I, I immediately thought of the Rob's dogs uh, uh, like alignment here because he is like again it's like i don't know and i would love to pick his brain so i think he'd be a great guest to have on i never know if he has a plan or if he's just doing something that then ends up like you so think me, he's let a me balloon? give some examples you think he's a balloon just floating through life never I, popping I can't, it's like he seems like when 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 you talk to him you'll see what i mean it's like he seems so just like, oh, I just sort of do things. Like, I run experiments and stuff like that. But yet it all seems so very directed and tactical and such a good decision that I, I don't know if he's just, like, he's got a really good head on his shoulders, if he's got someone giving him great advice, like, what the deal is. But, like, let me give you an example. When I first met Rob, he um, he was living in a house with a roommate, and he was running these... Uh, kind of dog evaluations and stuff like that um, in this office that was like a little spare bedroom or something like that uh, in the backyard. Uh And to what he did, it's like he really dressed it up really nice and it looked really good. But, you know, it was kind of like, oh, A, it was kind of an interesting neighborhood. And by interesting, I mean like not so great. (laughs) And, um, And, you know, things like that. But I had, he had a great product. It wasn't, it just wasn't branded the way that he probably wanted it to be, but he had a great product because, you know, he, he just spent an hour with Grizzly and he was like, oh yeah, man, he already knows all the basic obedience. You taught him all the commands and stuff like that. We're going to sharpen him in and we're going to make him very, you know, whatever. And then he demonstrated the work that he does with his dog, Pac-Man. Oof, what a, what a crazy dog. Um, Pac-Man can do some crazy stuff, but, uh, uh, but he demonstrated that. And then I was like, okay, cool. Um, you know what? I'm going out of town, blah, blah, blah. Why don't we start? Can we start at the first of next month? And he was like, oh, yeah, let's do that. When I texted him to arrange like my next, you know, okay, first of the month, we're going to start. He gave me a different address than before. And so I went over there and I was like, oh, man, what, what is that? Like he moved to a completely different neighborhood, a nice neighborhood with like a pretty big house with a large gated yard so that we were doing all of our work in that gated yard. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh man, what's the deal? And he was just like, ah, you know, I just kind of wanted to move to a new spot. I uh, thought that this would be better for business for X, Y, Z. And so he took what was already a good product, but packaged it differently, basically. Like, And he was like, yeah, I mean, it's a lot of money. It's a lot of, it's a recurring expense to live in this big house. This, this big house is kind of expensive, you know, whatever. But over the long run, it's crazy what he's done. He built a dog, like a kennel run in the back. So now he's got this like state-of-the-art air-conditioned, you know, uh, and he holds, I think it holds like 14 or 15 dog kennels there. So now- Whoa. Like what he was doing with me is I was doing the ones because I wanted to teach my dog. I wanted to be part of the process. So every Saturday I would go to Rob's. He would teach me something, you know, about what he would evaluate how I did with the last week's instruction and then teach me, you know, something new to add to it. And we were going to do eight weeks of that. But there was also the option that I didn't really go for, but it turns out a lot of people go for, which is that you drop your dog off with Rob. He spends two weeks with them. Or if you want the deluxe package, four weeks with them. And he trains your dog 
And by the time when you get your dog back, you just have a visit. He teaches you all the commands. He tells you everything that you need to do or everything you need to know. And you go on your merry way. So now, because he moved into this bigger house, he was able to build this kennel run. So now he could facilitate board and trains. So he added a whole new service to his business that wasn't there before that now he could do and is actually like his his big earner. Wow. So it's like he, he kind of just does – he invests – he takes money that – you know, I'm sure when he was living in that house that was kind of, you know, that he was sharing with somebody else that uh, that was kind of in a not so great neighborhood. He probably got, you know, a crude 10,000 bucks. And, you know, to a lot of people, it's like, oh, great, 10,000, like time to go to, you know, a fancy dinner or time to do whatever. But instead, he took that money and reinvested back into the brand. So, you know, and again, another example of that, he had his truck. He had it custom painted to say Rob's dogs on the sides and stuff like that. Um, and he, he's just like, yeah, I just go and I like park it out somewhere and then I get people call it. So it's like, instead of buying a billboard, it's like, I had this truck. I just, you know, put it out there. It's, it's painted with Rob's dogs. People call me, you know, whatever. That's my cheap and easy way of advertising. So he, he does these things where he takes the profits that he's making in his business. And instead of like immediately distributing that or whatever he needs to do, he invests it back into the business and that's uh-huh. taken his scale to just be so much greater than where it was initially. Right. So I think that's, that's another kind of aspect. And it kind of got me thinking like, um, you know, and, and t- t- thinking about elephant scout, that's something that, you know, you've talked about a little bit. It's like, Oh, we're going to start by getting the budget for this level, this tier of a feature. Then we're uh-huh. going to get the budget for this tier of a feature then this. So instead of just like, Oh, I'm going to buy X, Y, Z, or who knows what I'm going to do with the money. It's like, you have this sort of forward thinking plan of how you're going to take m- money and, both, you know, um, investors' money and your own or your own profits, and you're going to put it back into the business to scale yourself up. Right. And so that kind of, you know, I had to start thinking like, okay, where am I at currently? And I'm nowhere, basically. But um, but for each of these steps, like what would be the wise move? I guess always keep a, keeping a vision on what would be the next move to scale up. Like eventually – I'm not going to want to be doing all the formulation. I'm going to have to outsource formulation, at least partially. Right. So I'm, that would probably be a way to invest money back into the brand so that I can fulfill way more orders. Okay. Now I'm fulfilling more orders in terms of like the product itself. I've got more of it. But eventually my home office is going to be filled with boxes and boxes of flow roll, which it's probably going to be called something else. But let's just for the sake of argument, let's just leave it there. Flow roll. Flow roll. So now my office is filled with boxes and boxes of flow roll. Hmm. Maybe I need an additional structure like a storage unit or something where I can hold this stuff before I ship it out. Mm -hmm. You know, so thinking along those lines, whatever it is for your business, like how are you investing some of your profits back into the brand such that you're, you can build this recurring revenue such that you can kind of have your eyes on like this, this constant monitoring and scale up sort of. Right. That's a good idea. So, so I don't know what that means for, for elephant scout. I think you already naturally do that. Like you thought, okay, uh, you know, in order to build and nurture this audience, let me get a social media person, you know, because that's what you did with, you did it all yourself on the first screening of Eddie Money. Right. But now if you're focusing on your next, you know, feature or something like that, how much time and energy are you going to have to be able to just 
you know, put your time and energy into really running your social media campaigns or your audience building or something like that. Exactly. Yeah. It so. might be a wise investment. And, and I think you're right. It's a wise investment to put that money back into your brand by, you know, investing it in a social media person or a, an audience building person. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, man. Investing in yourself takes, takes self-care, self-investment. Yeah. Yeah. All that good stuff. Self-care, all, all the good stuff, all the, all the, uh, but yeah, those were really my thoughts about, you know, what, what is ramen profitability and then kind of what are the items that you need to not only achieve it, but sustain it. And I think it's really challenging, but I think, uh, man, there's nothing that gets me kind of more fired up than like, like thinking about that was just like, all right, this, this kind of gives me more clear steps in terms of like, it makes things more tangible and approachable. Right. Right. Particularly, you know, the conversation I had earlier this week where I was like, you know what, like, can I handle the sales and marketing of this? Maybe, but maybe it would be good to get a partner. It probably would be. Yeah. Do it. Do it. So hopefully my uh, pitch goes well next week, or at least I can pique some curiosity or some interest and, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see where that goes. Uh, I, I'm hopeful. I, I'm drawing up some pretty good, like not presentation kind of material, but sort of like a low scale, like I'm just having a conversation, but I'm, I'm, I've started drafting some ideas around that. So I'm excited. How are you having this conversation? What do you mean? Are you doing it uh, in person on the phone? Oh, in person. We've, we've, we were already in person at the secret jujitsu club. So, all right. All right. So, so we'll be in person and he's familiar with the space already. Um, he's familiar with some of the products that I've taken before and he's also taken. So he's familiar with the space. He's in the, in the jujitsu world. Yeah. And the sales world and the sales world. Yeah. So I think he, at at bare minimum, I'm going to get some great insight out of this conversation, but hopefully I'm getting like a, a partner out of this conversation. So exciting times. Very exciting. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, anything, I mean, Eddie mummy is out now. Uh, anything, anything to plug? Talk to me. Yeah. Just go to elephantscout.com to check out all the details, to watch Eddie mummy, to support some Tucson creative venues here in town to help them get through these times. Uh, another thing I learned this week, I meant to say this at the top with our, when is it? Winners and losers. What do we, what do we call it? Win and, <laughs> win and learn. Win or, win, win win or learn. learn. Uh, don't type uh, COVID in any of your descriptions for anything because they flag it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah of they course. flag it on all the platforms. Yes. And they don't uh, engage in your audience as much. That's a really good tactical learn right there. Yep. Yep. That is, uh, no. that's a strong suggestion. I didn't even think about that, but of course. Yeah. So during yeah. these trying times, if you can support some, uh, some artists, yeah. If you know any artist friends, uh, just, Check them out. Check on them. They're probably not doing that well. And oh. buy their buy their merch. Ch- listen to their music. Watch their movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's a salient point. Go check on your artist friends and do what you can to support them. Or you know your favorite local venue or something like that. There's probably a lot of need uh, right now. So you know, do what you can. Obviously, don't overstretch or overexert yourself. But at the same time. You know, pay it forward because for the longest time, you know, I've been enjoying going to live shows or I've been enjoying movies or all that kind of stuff. And, you know, it's it's a really difficult to find a way to support right now. So that's a great point. A little bit goes a long way. A little bit goes a long way. 
help out and then uh pretty soon we'll get back to you know going to movie theaters together or who knows what um as for myself uh not entirely a whole lot to plug on the flow roll side of things uh outside of the fact that you know as i as i mentioned i'm gonna have a pretty important conversation this week so i'm very excited about that um outside of that uh, I guess I would just plug myself on uh, check me out on LinkedIn because I'm uh, I'm publishing again on there. So I, I just recently put up a new piece um, or maybe it's set to release Monday morning, actually. Uh, yeah, it might be. It might be set to release Monday morning. Uh, so I am back. That's when we release. So it'll be live. Oh, beautiful. This is live right now. Uh, if you're listening, go uh, look me up, Atish Mazumdar on LinkedIn, A-T-I-S-H-M-A-Z-U-M, as in Mary, D as in dog, A-R. Uh, I always have to, because everyone, I swallow it a little bit, so people think I'm saying Mazumbar or Mazoon, like with an N. It's an uh -huh. M and it's a D. Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn. There will be a new published piece on there uh, that is probably pretty interesting or, or might be a good read. Um, or just find me on uh, on. Uh, Instagram, if you if you want to see pictures of Murph stuff, <laughs> uh, you can find me at at Atish Mazish for all Murph related needs. <laughs>